Welcome to episode 20 of Jimmy D and Mr. B. I am Jimmy D. And I am Mr. B. And we're going to talk about history. And Jimmy, you have picked a big ambitious topic, but you are a big ambitious boy. I have picked a big topic. I've chosen World War One. I've been wanting to do this one for probably since we started recording the podcast, Clint. I think I've had this one in my sights and I was waiting. I was waiting for a um, the right time to do it. And I thought, end of season two, Clint, this is when we're going to do it. And we're going to do it in two parts. We're doing our second two-parter. However, this time, both parts will be uh, centered at the same time. So you won't have to wait a fortnight to hear what happens in, in part two, which is a slightly uh, new way that, that that we're doing it. But um, yeah, I'm really excited to do this topic. And um yeah, it's going to be a long one, but I'm excited to, to uh, uh, go through uh, World War One. And I've, I've tried to pick out interesting things. I've, tr- I've obviously, I'm not gone through every little thing that happened in the First World War because we'd be here all day. But I think I've picked things that I think you'll find interesting and that, um, you, that you may or may not have known. So I ho- hopefully everyone enjoys it. Um, what's your thoughts on the First World War, Clint? Um, yeah, like I've, I did 20th century history at uni, like I'm a, um, big fan of 20th century history. And this was like so formative and set up so much of what would happen going forward in the 20th century as well. It's sort of like, you know, we're going to talk about the fallout from this and, you know, it sort of led on so many different movements and, you know, subsequent wars and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a big topic. You know, we did, we did the crusades part one and two very early on in our podcasting journey and um i think we're so professional now that this is going to be slick but at the same time i don't know how we're going to go for time because these are the boys that spent 45 minutes talking about you know a guy playing sports last fortnight so (laughs) (laughs) we'll see how we go we'll see how we go i think that's a good time to move into it so um i just want to briefly go over the how and the why and the motives behind the first world war i think most people will know that archduke franz ferdinand was assassinated by a group of serbians uh, Gavrilo uh, Princip was the main guy behind it, even though he was only 19 years old. And um, those and 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 they were supplied by a terrorist group called the Black Hand. So you've got these bunch of Serbians; they're unhappy, and they assassinated Duke. I think that's, I think pretty much everyone's heard about that, even in some form or or, um, or anything like that. So, or they just know Franz Ferdinand, the uh, 2000s rock group that were named after the guy. Exactly right. And again, a, an absolute great um, band there as well. Um, you might ask why a rebel group of Serbians would do this. Why would they, why would they assassinate someone? Well, it was mainly because they didn't want Serbia to be controlled by Austria-Hungary, an empire which had kind of already taken control of other countries near them um, and were kind of like moving in on, uh, and on other countries as well. And they, wanted, and they wanted Serbia. They wanted Serbia bad. So they thought that the best option would be to uh, destroy uh, Franz Ferdinand. And I'd be interested to know, Clint, do you reckon they thought this would have started a war? Did they think it would create one of the biggest wars of all time? I really think that, like, Europe were on the precipice of, you know, a conflict anyway. And I feel like this was just, like, a trigger. Like, 
something else would have happened, I think, that would have caused a world war because there was already so much tension and stuff built up across Europe and, you know, with border disputes and all sorts of power power struggles going on at the time. Also, being a 19-year-old, I don't know about you or not, but when I was 19, I wasn't really thinking about uh, my actions and what would happen if I did something. So perhaps he genuinely thought, oh, if I kill Franz Ferdinand, um, our country's all going to be all good. We won't have to worry about Austria-Hungary and maybe that would be the end of it. Um, Unfortunately, it wasn't. Um, as far as we know, the Serbian uh, uh, government didn't order the attack. I don't know that for sure. But as far as we know, they didn't have anything to do with it. Um, but Austria-Hungary had wanted Serbia under Austrian control for some time. And after the assassination of the Duke, Austria sent a huge thing of demands, um, knowing full well that the demands would be told no, because they were outlandish. One of them being that like Serbia would uh, give its sovereignty to Austria-Hungary, which they did not want to do um and that pretty much started the war uh, that pretty much was the outset of the war for world war one which started on the 28th of july 1914 um and then essentially austria hungary had uh germany as their main ally and serbia uh, had uh russia as their main ally and so ensued um a war and i think obviously austria hungary wanted more land that already austria hungary pretty much had a large uh part of land but as we know the countries wanted more land for farming and also there are a lot of oil fields in serbia and in that area so i think that was one of the main reasons that they wanted serbia as well clint yeah so i mean it's funny to think like serbia being at the time you know not a not a powerhouse but yeah you know, triggered this war between these, you know, all these other countries that ended up becoming involved in the Allies and Central Powers. Yeah. So so, um, just to go, for those of you who don't know, the Allies were the uh, British Empire, which included countries like Australia um, and New Zealand and stuff. Uh, You had France, Russia up until 1917, and we'll get to that earlier, get to that a bit later, and USA from 1917, which we'll also talk about. And then you had the Central Powers, which was Germany, Austria-Hungary, and the Ottoman Empire. Yeah, and I think beyond those heavy hitters, like, it's important to note that this was truly a world war in that, like, countries from, you know, most continents um, were sort of participating. Obviously, the British Empire has, like, you know, all the Commonwealth nations and stuff like that, that, um, you know, know, we had, like, South Africa in a war, like, fighting... In Europe, like crazy stuff. Yeah, I only, I only, I've only named the main ones. It was like a list of like 34 other countries that were involved in World War One. So um, I didn't want to run through every single one of them. But yeah, there was it was definitely a world war. And there were countries from all over the world that were involved for various reasons, whether it was because they were part of the, um, the British Empire or the German Empire or the Austria-Hungarian uh, Empire. So just v- very varied across the world. But I've just listed like the the main players who were like the most involved at, at, at the time. I'll also like sort of note as well, countries like that were on the outskirts. Like I think like, for example, China, like they just wanted to be part of this war. Like they wanted to just pick a side and be part of it. Cause it put them as like big players on the world stage. Exactly. Yeah. I th- and I think, um, and we'll talk about it later, like what happened at the end of the war, but there were, um, these these countries who were fighting against Australia, they weren't just in it to be the good guys. They were out. They they. I think every country wanted something out of it, and I think that's the thing to remember. 
yes, even though Austria-Hungary and Germany started the war, um, there was there would have been a peaceful way to resolve this. But I think, like you said, Clint, war was brewing for a while. Uh, countries were becoming increasingly frustrated with other countries about for uh, a variety of reasons. So I think even though, yes the war was started by one country um it was continued by a lot of countries for various reasons and land and power and that was among all those reasons um before we get on to uh the trench warfare and like the the western and eastern front i want to talk about two groups of people that fought in the war and those were the uh rich nobles and basically the men in the trenches, the, the everyday man. Um, during World War One, a large proportion of the officers were from noble families or from they were rich or they were uh, involved in uh, the government. So they, they, they weren't the everyday man who was, who was in charge. Um, and these men would become the officers. They had not much experience because they hadn't really been a, a whole heap of fighting. They were basically just made officers because they were more educated and they had 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 the power it wasn't because they had the experience um and they but even though they had no experience they still thought that they knew everything about war and the way they had fought in the past was the way that they would just uh would um fight in the future um but world war one was a very uh different war to what everyone had experienced before there were machine guns there were uh huge uh uh bombs and there were tanks even so these men who thought they knew everything they really didn't um and the men doing the real fighting unfortunately were the ones who paid the ultimate cost they were seen as just uh these guys who would they they, they obviously didn't have any money so they weren't worth anything to the men in charge and they're basically sent to the slaughter clint yeah and there was like widespread conscription as well in terms of like you know, if you were in the age group that are eligible to fight, you had to go. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of these people were there voluntarily, you know, out of pride and patriotism, but also a lot of these people were also just told they have to go and fight for their country. Exactly. And I think, no, there isn't, um, I think the, the Battle of the Somme, which we'll talk about later, exemplifies this the most of just clear lack of care for the common man and their lives. Um, now, obviously, not every officer was bad, but unfortunately, especially in the uh, British Army at the early on in the war, um, there was a lot of uh, times where men were sent out um, to their deaths when there could have been another way to go about it. Obviously, dying is a part of war, but there was some pretty um, uh, sad times where men were just clearly sent out to be slaughtered. Um, And I just wanted to bring that to light because I think in war, sometimes you can go over the exciting stuff and you talk about all the the battles and all the, the brave things that people did, but a lot of times in war, it's senseless and it doesn't make sense and it's really sad. I just thought that was a good thing to bring up Clint. Yeah. And I think also like, it's great to put human faces on, you know, all these numbers that we're going to talk about. Like at the same time, a lot of these are young men who, you know, it's the early um, 20th century, their travels, not really a thing. Like this is their way to see the world, make some friends, you know, change from their normal lives. Um, And yeah, but no one's going to die. Everyone's going to, 
and obviously a lot of these men had never experienced war or anything like that so it was something completely new and they had no idea what was going to happen unfortunately they found out pretty quickly um Speaking of men fighting, we're going to talk about trench warfare, which was the main way of fighting during World War One. Obviously, um, it wasn't new to the soldiers. Uh, trench trench warfare had been around, but um, they really this was pretty much the main type of fighting that was used in World War One. Um, it was employed on on the on the Western Front in northern France and in. In, in, in Belgium, and it basically basically saw combat between the German troops and the Allied forces, um, including France and uh, the United States. Eventually, um, for anyone who doesn't know what trench warfare is, trench warfare is long, narrow trenches that are dug into the ground at the front, so basically the main area of the fighting, and usually and that's usually done by the infantry soldiers who would occupy them for weeks at a time and were designed to protect the troops from machine gun fire and um, uh, bombs from the air from planes. Um, as the Great War, Great War also used uh, 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 chemical warfare and poisonous gas. The trenches were thought to offer some degree of safety and from exposure, even though exposure still happened and some of the... Uh, things weren't that that powerful it was still a good way to keep soldiers safe um so the so the trenches afforded some type of safety for the soldiers and allowing them to take up a, a defensive uh steps um and allowed them to put masks on in time otherwise if they're out in the open it was much harder to do that yeah and i think if you are not familiar with trench warfare or you just want to you know see it in action i know it's set in a different war but you know, if you haven't already watched like 1947 and sort of you get a really good idea of um, what it's like for a young man in the trenches. Um, you know, it's it's a disgusting place at times. Like you said, people were there for weeks or months on end. Yeah. And um, these trenches were their home. They were their battleground. Um, they were disgusting in a lot of ways. You know, where do you go to the toilet and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's really... Um, 1947 is a great way to kind of see that in action and um, see what that would have been like. Exactly. And even though trench warfare, even though trenches were meant to afford safety, unfortunately, they did cause enormous numbers to, of people to be killed and injured. Um, during World War One, at the beginning, uh, most forces mounted attacks from the trenches with uh, their uh, bayonets fixed to their rifles by climbing over the edge and into what is known as no man's land, the area between the two opposing forces. Usually a single straight line and under a barrage of gunfire. Um, that doesn't seem like a really sophisticated way to stop the enemy, Clint. No, this is pre-drones. This is pre-nuclear attacks. This is like the way that you attacked an enemy. And that no man's land, just every time I see like that portrayed in a movie or something, it just looks absolutely terrifying. Yeah, and obviously, surprisingly, this approach was uh, rarely effective and often led to a lot of people being killed or injured. Later in the war, though, they began mounting uh, attacks from trenches at night, and this was usually with the support of covering uh, artillery fire. The, German, the Germans soon became known 
for effectively mounting nighttime incursions behind enemy lines by sending highly trained soldiers to attack the trenches of opposing forces and what they perceived as weak points. So the Germans really took advantage of this and they were able to have some uh, some some success. But all in all, trench war, it was just a huge slug. It was a, it was a defensive system of fighting. And to be honest, not a lot changed for large parts of the war um, with this style of fighting, Clint. Yeah, I can't imagine being in there like you've you've been in there for weeks and trying to get some sleep or something like that, you know, nighttime and then getting raided by the Germans. It just sounds horrible. It does, yeah. Um, you spoke briefly about like the, how the trenches would have looked, the, the conditions. We're going to talk about that now, about the disease and the shell shock that were rampant in trenches. So with soldiers obviously fighting in pretty close uh uh, they were all close to each other, like there wasn't a lot of space. Um, it was pretty unsanitary conditions. Infectious diseases such as uh, dysentery, uh, cholera, and uh, 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 typhoid fever were common, and they spread pretty quickly. Obviously, you're all close to each other. It's pretty hard to maintain that 1.5 meters that we were told to do during COVID. Um, these guys were sick, and they were standing right next to each other and spreading it throughout the entire trench. Um, yeah, this is an era where people died of like diarrhea, like yeah. medical stuff wasn't good. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and obviously, so many people in trenches, it's hard to know where it started. It, it, it's so easy to, to catch because you're all so close to each other. Um, the constant exposure to um, rain as well. Obviously, these trenches aren't covered, although certain areas might be, but basically, the large portion. So, when rain, it rains heavily and they were in winter in France, um, trenches are going to become full of water. And that constant exposure caused a trench foot, a painful condition in which dead uh, um, uh, tissue spread across one or even uh, one foot or both. And sometimes that required amputation, which is pretty horrific. Um, Trench mouth also was a thing, a type of gum infection, um, that was uh, problematic and is thought to be associated with the stress of nonstop bombardment. Um, that sounds no time cool. to brush your teeth or no. use a mouthwash. Yeah, yep. pretty horrific. And um, also, obviously, they were trapped in trenches for long periods of time under constant bombard- bombardment. Um, many soldiers suffered shell shock, which is basically uh, uh, PTSD. So, being under constant fire from bombs, some guys. They just broke, really, um, unsurprisingly, and that was pretty uh, sad for them. Yeah, like even if you survive this war, you're probably going to go home with some sort of uh, long-term disease or illness um, or mental illness like PTSD. Yeah, and it's likely of all these factors which stem from the widespread use of trench warfare made World War One one of the most um, hor- horrific wars in history. Um, and it, it is believed that one in 10 of all fighting men in the conflict were killed um it was also the first conflict in world history to have more uh deaths caused by combat rather than the disease spread during the fighting so even if you did get sick you're probably going to die before it killed you so um that's how uh bad uh the fighting was clint yeah right now we've moved on from the super gloomy stuff we'll go a little bit less gloomy and we'll move on to the eastern front um, I don't know if there's a lot of less gloomy in this topic. But yeah. There's different different yeah. types. Yeah. yeah, it's different levels of gloomy. Um, yeah. So there were two main areas of fighting in World War One. There was the 
Eastern Front and the and the Western Front. And we're going to talk about the Eastern Front first. Um, the Eastern Front stretched over a thousand miles from the Baltic Sea to uh, Romania. And the main armies fighting on the Eastern Front were the Russians, the Germans, and the Austro-Hungarians. Um, one of the main uh, fights on the Eastern Front was the Battle of uh, Tannenberg, which resulted in a humiliating defeat for the, for the Russians at the hands of the German army. Now, just as a, uh, uh, it was so humiliating because the Russian army far exceeded the German army. I think the Russian army had something like over a million soldiers and the Germ um, Germany had like the low hundred thousand. So even though a, a couple hundred thousand isn't a small number of men compared to a million, it's um, pretty small. Um, but the German army had uh, generals Hindenburg and uh, Ludendorff. And even though they had a small army there, they were far superior in organizing their army and also had um, superior uh, 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 tactics. Hindenburg and Ludendorff would also lead the Germany on the Western Front as well at some point. Um, really, one of the only few advantages of the Eastern Front was that it separated the German army, allowing the Allies to win victories on the Western Front, such as the Battle of Marne. Um, however, later in the war, as we'll talk about, the Eastern Front would become less of an advantage for the Allies, um, and we'll speak about that soon. So yeah, so the Eastern Front, it was important, but obviously the main fighting we're going to talk about now is on uh, the, the Western Front. But yeah, uh, having, a, having the German army split would have been a pretty huge advantage, Clint. Yeah, and um, it's not the first time in history, or like, not the last time that the German army would use these split tactics to uh, you know, gain some military superiority. Exactly right. Um, we'll move on now to the Western Front, which was the main area of fighting. And it was a 400 plus mile stretch of land weaving through France um, and uh, Belgium, and then over to the Swiss border to the North Sea. Um, this was the area where the fighting happened the most and where the fighting was the most uh, uh, brutal. Many soldiers and civilians lost their lives and suffered long after the fighting was done. Um, I want to discuss, there were several uh, fights we could talk about on the Western Front, but I really just wanted to focus on one in, in particular, and that was um, the Battle of the Somme, which was the most... Uh, uh, hor horrific of these i think it had the most people die um it, it was pretty it was a pretty sad fight clint yeah i think you had early on in your notes that um it sort of best typified um that sort of brutality of trench warfare and there was you know so many tens of thousands of tragedy of tragic sort of casualties just on that first day of fighting exactly right yeah so the battle of the somme took place from uh July to November 1916. So pretty early on in the war. It was only like a year in, so it was still fairly early on in the fighting. Um, and it was the Allies against uh, German offensive on the Western Front. Um, and it was, yeah, it was the most costly of all, all, all the battles during the First World War. An example of that is um, the British forces suffered more than 50, 57,000 uh, deaths um, including more than 19,000 soldiers killed on the first day of the battle alone, making it the single most uh, disastrous day in that nation's history. Um, I don't know if you know much about the British Empire, but they've had a pretty long history. So to say that that was um, 
the most the, the the worst day for them in terms of fighting is pretty horrific, Clint. Yeah, if any country's um, gonna set some pretty epic records, it's the British in terms of battles. Yeah. Um, the, uh, by the time the Battle of the Somme ended nearly five months later, more than three million soldiers at, on both sides had fought in the battle and more than one million had been killed or wow. wounded. Um, so just absolutely um, her, 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 horrific uh, scenes to, to see here. Um, this is I'm pretty much going to go into the reason why now. This is the reason behind so much of the slaughter. Um, before the... Uh, the British began the attack. They bombed the German line, believing that this would cause uh, enough damage to the trenches and the barbed wire, so that they could, so that an attack from the trench would be su- successful. As we spoke about earlier, this was a very rare success in trench warfare to be able to do this. However, the British, so the British sent over several divisions, I think eleven or something like that. But because the German line was well fortified and the um, the soldiers were just slaughtered by the machine guns and many lost their lives and even if you didn't die and you're injured in no man's land you're probably going to bleed out because you couldn't get back to your trench anyway so um a pretty uh uh horrible way to die and a very stupid way to fight a war clean i think yeah i can't imagine tens of thousands of you know men on this battlefield you know killed and like you said if they're injured you know, you can't go and get everybody because you're under machine gun fire, so they're likely to die. And also, just to, like for no for people who wouldn't have known what no man's land looked like, it wasn't like a flat paved road. It was muddy. There were huge uh, holes in the ground from the bombs. Like it was, it was, it was a hassle to cross. Like it wasn't just like oh, let's just jog across no man. Like if you, you, you like apart from the fact that there were people shooting at you, the actual journey across was horrific because it had been bombed and it was muddy and it wasn't a great place to walk through, even if you weren't being shot at. So I can't imagine how bad it was for um, these, uh, all, all the men who were fighting. Um, more than anything else, the Battle of the Somme and its devastating first day would be remembered as the epitome of the brutal and seemingly senseless carnage that characterized uh, trench warfare. As we'd mentioned earlier, uh, British officers, especially Haig, would be criticised for continuing the offensive in spite of such devastating losses. Um, so, yeah, essentially this guy just kept sending men across, keep going, keep going, and they were just being chopped down. So, again, I think, as we spoke about earlier, it's that thing of, like, they just didn't seem to care about the, the lives of the men that they were sending across Clint. Yeah, and you just followed orders and... Yeah. You know, the orders were to basically run to your slaughter. Um, yeah. And they don't have an endless supply of soldiers. Um, this would have had a massive dent on the British, you know, collective and their ability to win the war. Exactly. And I mean, I think you would, it, but it almost like they did think they had a, a they, it's almost like they thought they did have just like a surplus of men um, all set to fight. So I think that's really, yeah, it's just, it just shows you the mindset of, um, of war and how it is so uh, senseless sometimes. Um, But even though it was a huge failure, the Allied offensive at the Somme did inflict serious damage on the German uh, army as well in France, spurring the Germans to strategically retreat to the Hindenburg line. Hindenburg was the general I spoke about earlier in the Eastern Front. So he came to to help out the the German army there. Obviously, there was... um, 
um, a stronger need for him on the Western front because of the losses that they were having as well. Um, though the exact number is argued, the German losses by the end of the Battle um, of the Somme probably exceeded um, the English with some 450,000 soldiers lost compared with 420,000 on the uh, British side. The surviving British forces also had gained valuable experience, which would later help them achieve victory on the Western Front. So even though so many men were slaughtered, the ones that survived were hardened soldiers now, and this would help them um, further down the track. I think it's just so sad, though, that so many had to die to achieve this. Yeah, it's um, definitely one of the most devastating battles I've heard of in any war. Yeah, I think it, I think it's still. I mean, I think there's only a couple of fights in during World War Two that are as bad as the Somme. So the the Somme still holds its place in history. Unfortunately, is one of the most uh, uh, her, her, horrific fights out there. I spoke earlier about the Eastern Front and how uh, the Russian army were fighting there, um, but they Russia didn't make it to the end of the war, Clint. Um, Russia fought from 1914 to 1916 and Russia's army mounted several offensives on the Eastern Front but was unable to break the German lines. Uh, defeat on the on the defeat and the combined with economic instability and the scarcity of food and other essentials led to mounting um, uh, discontent among the bulk of the Russian population, especially with the workers and the peasants who were in the factories and farming the land. Um, this increased hostility was directed towards the imperial regime, namely the Tsar Nicholas II and his, un- and his German-born wife, Alexandra. So having a German-born wife during a war that Germany kind of started wasn't a great look, Clint. Yeah, and um, look, this sort of simmering discontent in Russia and sort of the workers and poverty-stricken area um, ended up spurring on the Russian Revolution, which I think we've summarised into a very short section here. But the Russian Revolution is something I want to spend an hour talking about at some point because it's fascinating and it's so formative. Exactly. And I wanted to be really careful not to do the Russian Revolution within in World War One, but, yeah, but <laughs> just throw a Russian Revolution into the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So essentially, um, with the instability and everything we spoke about, um, Vladimir Lenin and the Bolsheviks um, ended Tsarist rule and brought halt to the Russian participation in World War One. Um, the new Russian government reached an armistice with the Central Powers in early December 1917, freeing German troops to face the remaining allies on the Western Front. Um, I wonder what may have happened if Russia had stayed in in in, in the war, Clint. What do you, do you think that would have had um, an impact on what happened on the Western Front, or do you think that Germany had it pretty much in in control on on both fronts? I mean, we know from World War II what a powerhouse Russia can be, mate. Like, due to their massive population, as well as, like, how vast and horrible that place is to fight in. And, um, you know, if we will talk about World War II one day, but Russia were a massive um, powerhouse and flipped the script in exactly. World War II. Exactly. Yeah. And, and who knows, perhaps they might, their army might have gotten stronger, they might have become smarter perhaps they would have won a few more offensives against the germans and really uh and even if they didn't maybe the german army just ran out of steam and they just got crushed like who who again that hindsight is uh 
2020 so we'll 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 never know but i'd be really interested to do a like a what if episode of what if this happened and what if if the russians stayed in the war so i think um yeah Yeah. that that at the same time like like you said these are poverty-stricken workers and peasants so this is like this is farmers who are probably being treated pretty poorly by the czar and like they're fighting in someone else's war for parts of europe that they probably don't care about so um it's not surprising that a revolution sort of uprose there because it's you know yeah you've got these farmers who are yeah essentially why are they interested in what's going on in france or what's going on in you know serbia or whatever yeah exactly yeah and like i said we'll we'll 100 talk about the russian revolution another time but essentially the straw that broke the camel's back was when the czar went and he decided to lead the army and essentially he lost a bunch of huge fights and that was like the basically they said no you're kind of done mate and that door opened for a for a bloke named lenin to uh do his thing and yeah and he was a pretty important person in history. Um, so that pretty much brings us to the end of part one of our World War One. Um, this episode, Clint. Um, how do you feel part one's gone? Yeah, part one's gone well. It's gone a little bit quicker than I thought in terms of, um, you know, we could do a Dan Carlin style, you know, four or five hour episodes on world war one but i don't think that's our brand i think our brand is like without insulting our audience it's history for dummies in terms of like it's a nice punchy sort of one that you can listen to in the car exactly Um, yeah yeah uh, yeah exactly yeah exactly i mean we could easily do a four-hour podcast on world war one but then i don't necessarily wouldn't want to sit and listen to it. i love world war one and i wouldn't want to really sit and listen for four hours to someone talk so um yeah i think what do you think the like the main lessons from this first part of being in terms of like war and how it how it affects lives clint yeah i think you know this is really where um you know massive conscription and trench warfare and all that sort of stuff it was very much the common man fighting for um the you know power struggles of the wealthy and of the governments and all that sort of stuff and they unfortunately were the ones who suffered massive casualties and yeah it's very sad it, it it's it's what war is but it's um this is a modern example of how horrific it can be yeah i think that's a uh almost like the best way you could you could even say it, Clint. So that was really well said. So yeah, so that brings yeah, us I'm not br- just a pretty face. Not at all. So that so that brings us to an end of part one. Um I've been Jimmy D. Yeah, hopefully we've maintained your curiosity. I am Mr. B. Stay curious. Stay cheeky. See you next time and this will be uploaded straight away with part two. So jump on part two.